Thank you, Pastor John. Um, yeah, it was extra fun today during announcements. Um, thank you for sharing that. Obviously, you haven't visited UC Riverside. When the smog is clear, it is a beautiful place. But you must show up on that day when the smog is gone. Uh, that comes around every time there's an eclipse or full moon, whatnot. But anyway, so so good to see you all. And next week, um, Thanksgiving is uh, upon us at church. And it is our day. It's our day to give our blessings and gratitude to God. And so um, it's a great time to invite some loved one, never been to church, whatever, just a casual invitation, um, and uh, let them come. And uh, we're looking forward to that time together. You know, today we look at this topic of idolatry from 1 Corinthians 10. Um, I was reminded of a time years back before we had kids. We were out in Mexico City and on a tour, and they took us to the main square, town square of the, of the area. And they, the biggest and the tallest of the uh, structures there was the Catholic Church. And the tour guide took us over there and told us what things to look for and to look around. And um, it was packed with people. Um, There were the locals who were there using it as a practical church. And there were the tourists walking around taking pictures and looking at the architecture. But two things, as a pastor, it piqued a little extra interest to be in this church and to see um, how it was designed and how people were. It also broke my heart to be in that place because I saw now people in full-blown idolatry. Um, What was meant to be the church of the living God has now become a place of idols, uh, really an abomination. And uh, to see some of the people, and I remember two distinct people. One, I saw a man on his knees as he was praying um, his penance, and he was on his knees going around, and tears were falling from his face, and he was uh, pleading with God for something. And I saw someone else as well. Um, there were statues all along that represented the different um, uh, saints of the Catholic Church. And I remember seeing one person coming and grabbing the foot of the statue of a saint, weeping and begging for something which I could not tell what they were saying. And it was uh, something that stood out and it was heartbreaking because here we are in what was supposed to be the church of the living God and now people are in full-blown idol worship. Uh, Today we look at this topic of idolatry. Every culture all throughout history, even today, uh, everywhere, um, there is idolatry. There is idols. And we have to be also very careful not to Uh, fall into the same trap that's been going on from biblical times all the way till now. And yet it is uh, part of every human being's um, life, every culture. Why is that? What what, what are we looking for? Today we look at this passage, we're going to try to answer three simple questions. One is, what is idolatry? Um, Secondly is, why is there idolatry? Why did man create idolatry? Why is it that in every culture and all the times uh, throughout history... Every uh, person has bowed to an idol or has erected a temple or an idol. And thirdly, how do we combat this? How do we kill this off, right? How do we make sure we don't fall into this? And so we're going to be trying to answer those three questions as we look at this passage today. It's interesting, just a little background. The verses that we read in verses 1 through 4 give us the example of what not to do. 
And this is what Paul is referring to when he's writing to the people of Corinth, the Christians of Corinth. He's saying, okay, regarding idolatry, don't fail like the Israelites did during the time of Exodus. And he now lists all the things that they were blessed with. And when you look at verses 1 through uh, 4, um, it talks... It talks about the guidance of God in the cloud, crossing the Red Sea as they were freed from slavery, uh, the eating of manna and quail as God provided, and then the supernatural water that came from the rock. And so all of this that they were experiencing, and yet at the end, they do not make it into the promised land. They break the Ten Commandments before it is even brought down to God. They build an altar, uh, an idol on an altar, and they're bowing to a false god, uh, during this time. And he says here in the text that we read in verse 6, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they. So it, these are the examples. He's saying you have received all of these things as well. God has saved you. God has freed you. God has freed you from the enslavement of sin and death. And now you have received the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. Christ, the rock who is with you, giving you living water. You have all the same things that the Israelites had. Don't mess it up like they did because of idolatry. And so that's the example. And then he addresses idolatry. You know, he's been talking about idol worship all the last several chapters. Meats offered to idols, the sex that happens at the temple, and all the things that was around them. And he now addresses what idolatry is, why we create idols or go after idols, and thirdly, um, how to destroy it. And we're going to try to answer that. Number one, what is idolatry? It's summed up in the second part of verse 6. Uh, that we might not desire as they did. That little phrase, that we might not desire. That's a strong word. It's not a casual desire. Some of us are already thinking maybe, what do I desire for lunch today after church? Right, there's no lunch at church here today, so you're thinking of all the options. Some of you weren't thinking about it, about it but now you're thinking about it because I brought it up. You're like, oh, yeah, got to eat. What should I have? Should I go get a banh mi? Should I go get you know, some tacos? What should I have? And we're thinking about it. Well, that's a very casual desire. This word in the original language is a strong desire. It's someone that says, I cannot live without Something, fill in the blank. It's like the young couple when someone breaks up with the other and the guy saying, I cannot live without you. Or someone that loses a valued uh, a property says, I cannot live, that this is so valuable. It's something that people dream about, think about all the time. This is now what idolatry is. Wanting something more than God. This is what uh, the famous uh, phrase, uh, disordered love, that Augustine talks about. The disordered love. Loving something else before we love what needs to be loved first. Loving the people around us, or loving the things that we have, or loving our health, our looks, or our wealth more than God himself. The disordered love. So this is what it is. So, uh, idolatry is also explained in Romans 1.21. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. You exchange it 
The love is now disordered, you exchange it, and you serve a created thing than the creator. Tim Keller, in his very famous book, Counterfeit Gods, describes an idol in this way. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give. Uh, anything you seek to give you what only God can. Anything that is so central and essential to your life that uh, you, should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. The late J.I. Packer talks about the gods of this world that we often struggle with, and he sums it up in these three things. He said it's pleasure, possessions, and position. Pleasure, possessions, and position, the things that we have. Just last year on the TV show um, America's Got Talent, there was an 11-year-old girl who came out and sang Madison Baez from Yorba Linda. Um, and she was featured on the show because she sang so well, and she came out and sang Amazing Grace and just captured the whole audience, and uh, everyone loved uh, the way that she could sing. Of course, at the end of it all, the uh, antagonist of the show, Simon Cowell, the, the mean judge, had to say something, and one of the uh, little remarks that he made was, well, that was great and all, but um, this is a talent competition, this is not a church service. You know, like he just, it was amazing grace. Because all of a sudden, as she's singing, she kept pointing, the song itself is pointing to the creator. And so he wanted to bring the focus back down to the creation, to the talent. But the song, and the, it moved everyone to kind of think about the one that saved her. The one that provides amazing grace in Jesus Christ. And so he wanted to have it point back to the things. So what is idolatry? Anything we put above God, anything that we value more than God. Uh, in our modern day, the power, the position, uh, the possessions and the pleasure that uh, Packer talks about. So why do we commit idolatry? Why, why has mankind overall throughout history created and erected uh, temples and gods, and why do they bow to the false gods? What is that? It is to fulfill their own desires. It is creating God according to what they want. It says here uh, in verse 7, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, this is the saying of the day, the quote, the description of the day. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. The idolaters, those who were bowing down, he's, Paul is here is arguing for the condition of the, their desires. He's saying they are creating God by the things that they want, and this is all they cared about. When they sit down, what they're going to eat and drink. When they get up, what they're going to do for fun. It was all about just the their stomach, and their pleasure. And so they would create the gods that would now meet those things, that would fulfill those things. We have to be so um, alert uh, because this happens often, even in the church today. You know, when I, back in the day, when I was in seminary school, one of my favorite hobbies during seminary school was going to, as you would imagine, a seminary student doing was going to the Christian bookstore, right? There aren't too many bookstores around today, but I would go spend hours and hours. I would go to the used book section and, boy, get so excited to find a, a book. 
oh, I found this NIC commentary for $4.99. It's, oh, such a good deal. I mean, it was so exciting. And then you would walk over and check out like the cool, some of you know this, some of you don't know, but the cool Bible covers, remember those? It has a zipper. I know there's a, two of you that have it right now. It's cool. It's cool. I'm not making fun of you. I had them. All right? You go, oh, look at that one. That one's got a zipper. And you have all your notes from 1988 in there. And you got your, your, your Bible study notes and stuff. And then you go to the best-selling, the top-selling section. And ever since then till now, it would always have these books that would misquote Scripture and try in its effort to manipulate God to go and get what I want. Here is the formula to get what you want. Here is the prayer you should say, and you will become rich. And there's all these books, and they've become the most popular books, often very short, and gives you the five steps to the life that you always wanted. Power, prosperity, the ability to play, what I want to eat, drink, all the things I want. And it was man's effort to manipulate God. And unfortunately, it is the same today. If you go look up the number one, number one through ten, the best books, the most popular books, many of them now in the Christian section have ways to somehow manipulate God to improve my life. And this has been the desire of the people back in biblical times, and this is what we see here today. The people sat down to eat and drink, rose up to play. This was their goal in life. This is all that they wanted. So they would now create, the idolaters would create the idols, they would bow to the idols, hoping that it would answer and give me the things that I want. You remember when uh, even the Israelites, soon as Moses goes up to receive the Ten Commandments, and before he could even bring the Ten Commandments and the tablets down from, Mount, uh, from the mountain. They had created uh, an idol, a calf. Many scholars say that it was a replica of the idol back in Egypt where they were freed from. Apis was the name of it, the bull idol. It represented power, it represented fertility. And so now the people of Israel say, this is what I want. Let's create a God, let's create God in the way that I want and to, to fulfill the things that I want in my heart. So idolatry continues in this way. Idolatry is loving God for what he can provide, manipulating God to get the things that I want, not loving God for who he is. Um, we see this in uh, life today. Remember years back, the late uh, guest model, Anna Nicole Smith, who became kind of infamous because she married a tycoon who was 89 years old. And the man that she married only lived 13 months after, but he was worth over a billion dollars. He was not a millionaire, he was a billionaire. And so to the plain eye, to the public, everyone says, oh, she's just married him for the money. And it became all over the news, it came out all over the news, and the bitter fights that she had, as she had originally gotten something like 400-something million, and then the son of the tycoon, they were suing back and forth, and so on, and the saga continued for a long time. But it was obvious to the average person. Oh, that person is in it not for the other person. That person's in it uh, to get the stuff that he has. And we all shudder at the thought of someone doing that. We say, well, that's so wrong. You need to love that person for who he is, for better or for worse. 
You know, I think about, uh, you know, and I'm grateful for my dear wife, Sharon, because she knew when we had first met, I was already committed to go into ministry. I was in seminary. So I was like, I know for sure she is not marrying me for my lack of money, right? That's, I, I know for sure. I get discounts at the Bible bookstore and stuff like that. A free meal once in a while if a church member sees us. It's not marrying me for my money. She's marrying me in spite of the lack of money I'm going to have. And so it was a, a you go, wow, this is genuine love, right? Um, and so you think about that in this way. Uh, St. Augustine said it so well, and I share this quote with you. Idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that is meant to be worshiped. Take a moment, if you would, to just read that. Let those words sink in. Just think about that for a second. It's so profound. Worshiping anything that ought to be used. My body, my money, my time, all of these things that ought to be used instead of just putting it and saying, oh, I care more about this. Using anything that is meant to be worshipped. Going to God said, how can I use you? How can you be useful for my life instead of saying, I need to worship you? Paul says again in Philippians 3.19, they're in this destruction. Their God is their belly. Their God is their belly. Speaking of those who are idolaters. Their God is their appetite. Anything they want to do, whatever that they're... Uh, belly desires or the flesh desires that's the things that they go for this becomes now their God and it's interesting when we read this passage in the uh, first few verses it describes now the rock that provided spiritual water verse 4 and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them the rock was Christ you remember this was a uh, even a sin because they were complaining. They wanted the water so much. It, you see that little phrase, you know, in the original um, story, in the Old Testament, rather, there was two times that uh, God provides water from the rock. And this here, Paul now tells us, it was the rock that followed them. So some scholars have said this is a rock that literally was in their presence the whole time providing water. It was this, as they kept journeying, when they would wake up in the morning, the rock that was flowing water was right here. They'd wake up the next day, and they had moved a little, and that rock is right here. So some have said it's a rock that literally follows. Some have tried to interpret this as the stream of water was so abundant. It was following them. And whatever way we could understand this, it is a picture of Christ who is with us, from the beginning till the end, providing all that we need. And yet they complained and turned to idols. It is Christ who is with us. From the moment that you had come to faith, whenever that was, and until you go home to be with him, he is with us, providing for us what we need. So why idolatry? To fulfill the desires that we have, our own earthly desires, and lastly, is for us, especially here in where we live in Orange County, 
with all the affluence around us. And sometimes it, when I said that, some of you thought, oh, I'm not that rich. What are you talking about? And even in that, there's a blind spot. Because anywhere in the world would look at where we live, what we're doing, sitting in this nice auditorium, air-conditioned, and thinking about all the food options around us. Thinking, wow, that is the best place. And we have to be so vigilant because of where we live. And we got to ask, how could I combat idolatry? How could I make sure that I follow the example that Paul talks about, that I don't become like the Israelites who had everything from God and yet complain? It is this. It is a sin of grumbling. We have to be, we have to watch ourselves and watch the words that we say and make sure that we are not filled with grumbling. Uh, verse 10 describes this as what the idolaters did, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Their sin was grumbling. When you read the book of Exodus, it is filled with grumbling against Moses, against God. Grumbling, uh, in the original language, right, it's to murmur something. Uh, it's to say something. In the Hebrew, it talks about complaining and saying something negative about someone. It is this idea of uh, grumbling. Some of you, you know, at your workplace, some of you, if you work with, um, let's say, children, and you say, okay, kids, we're going to have another test, and you hear grumbling. Oh, and you can't really make out what they're saying exactly, but you know. The roll of the eyes, the body language, the grumbling. And this is a sin that kept them from entering the promised land. This is a serious sin, not a light sin, because our words have power. In a way, our words impact those who hear us. Our words impact our own selves. And when we are filled with grumbling, we are filling the heart of negativity where it comes from, the dissatisfied heart. Think, oh, geez, it's not happening. I just want more. In the Bible, there are grumblings, and there are also on the other side, laments or groaning. There are psalms that are known for their laments to crying out. One is the right way to go to God, the other is a sin. What is the difference? Uh, grumbling is, comes from a place of pride. Grumbling is me talking about someone behind their back. Grumbling is done to God about God, and we talk about God. Ah, oh, jeez. And as the, as the Israelites did, oh, if we could have just gone back to Egypt. We had so much more. It was so much better there. We had all the food that we wanted and the meat that we wanted. Why did he bring us? I don't know. Does he know where we're going? It's been 30 years. It's going on to 40 years. And the grumbling that's there, it comes out of a place of pride. Now, when you go to a fancy restaurant, Let's say, for a birthday, you go to a fancy restaurant, a steakhouse that you're going to pay $100 for, all right? And you're ready to spend that money. Because you are forking out the money, you expect good service. You want them to call you sir and ma'am. You want them to go and bring out, now, the good piece of meat or steak and the sides. You want the waiter or waitress to be attentive. Why? Because I'm paying you. And so we think, because I'm paying you, you owe me. And so the grumbler is going to God and saying, God, I, I am important. 
I am worth what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and serve. I'm going to go and do this. You owe me. Whereas now the laments or the one that's groaning, it's a prayer to the face of God. It comes out of a place of humility. Psalm 44 is a lament. There's many, but it's saying, God, I need your help. It's speaking to the face of God in humility. And that's the difference. The grumbler will speak about God in pride. The one who laments speaks to God in their humility. So instead of grumbling, and I don't know if you have ever been somewhere or if you have a habit of, right? and you go to a restaurant, let's say, and you know you're going to eat something and you're satisfied overall, but you have a grumbler in the party. Grumbling about everything. Ah, oh, man, I remember back in 1988, this used to be $5.99, right? Um, that's charging $25, right, for a bowl of noodles. Oh, my gosh, you could tell. They put the little sticker and they changed the price. And uh, I used to give a lot more. Big Macs were a lot bigger back then. Oh, it's, I mean, it, you're just grumbling. What happens after a while? You go, yeah, oh, yeah, I think I'm dissatisfied, too. You know what? Forget this, man. You know, they just, I just, and it's contagious and it spreads among us. What we have to do is replace the grumbling with words of thanksgiving. Uh, the psalmist in Psalm 77, verse 12, tells us to do this I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. The two actions that he, the psalmist, commands himself that he will do, to ponder, to meditate. Both words literally mean, they're different words, but they both mean to say it in my mouth, to murmur it, to say it. So the prayer that we say is not just something I think. And I encourage everyone, when you pray, don't just think it. Secondly, I encourage you, don't yell it out loud so that everyone next to you can't pray. They're like, oh my gosh, she's praying for her. You know, her cousin, I, I can't think of what to pray for. I'll just pray for her cousin, right? Uh, you know, because they're praying so loud. Say it loud enough so you verbalize what you're saying. And that's what it's saying here. To ponder all your works. Haga in the original language, to murmur it, to say it. To meditate. To meditate is not something to be quiet and to empty myself. The biblical idea of meditation is the words, is to ponder or to muse and to say it. And so we take a moment, we say it to ourselves, we say it to others. When we come to church and we sing these songs, whether you like the music or not, or you like the lyrics or not, but you're singing it with your mouth. And you might be arguing, boy, but then the people up here sing so much better, I'll just listen. Listening is fine too. But it is better for you to sing it out. Because you are conditioning your heart by the truth that you are preaching to yourselves. It is the atheist philosopher David Hume who says, Of all crimes that human creatures are capable of committing, the most horrid and unnatural is ingratitude. The person who does not acknowledge, the person who does not give thanks, the person who ignores the one who gives all things. We as the people of God need to come before God, not with grumblings. Let me ask you to come before God and come with thanksgiving. Today, think about all the wonderful things you could give thanks to, a thanks for, rather. 
Beautiful day. Other places are being snowed in. We're here. I got to go find sunblock, right, before our football practice later. Those are our problems. It's a beautiful day. We get to sit and worship with our church family. The people that God has placed into my life, how wonderful they are. The hope of heaven. The presence of God the Holy Spirit guiding me, teaching me. All the blessings I already have, and we have to sit and pause and say, God, thank you. God, I thank you for this. Song that we're going to sing later, one of the lyrics of the song, it says this, Before our hearts forget all your goodness, satisfy with your love, O Lord. Before our hearts forget all your goodness, satisfy us with your love. How true that is and how we need to make that our prayer. Let's pray together. O Lord, that is our prayer. We are forgetful, Lord God. Uh, We groan and complain easily. Lord, our pride shoots up daily, and Lord God, we need desperately the gospel message to remind us again that we are nothing without you, and everything that we have and everything that we are is because of you, so we hold on to you. So, Lord God, we learn from the mistakes of others. When we read this, it is a description of us, and yet, Lord God, we want to live as people who love you and worship you for who you are. We want to be people who are filled with gratitude, not grumbling. And God, so would you help us to do that? Our hearts forget easily. So Lord, we need to hear this again today. In Jesus' name, amen.